Tonight, if you have your Bibles and you would, find Matthew, the 20th chapter. And uh, if you don't care, would it be possible to put up a verse that I didn't give you up there in the balcony? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So if you'd find that with me in Matthew chapter 20 as well. Uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about um, knowing where you fit. Knowing where you fit. And I think that is something that is hard for all of us. And uh, it's very awkward at different times in our life. Uh, maybe you uh, have been in a situation, uh, myself included. I, uh, I go a lot of places alone. Do a lot of hospital visits, uh, funeral home, things like that. And it's not uh, usually uh, conducive to take my whole family with me. And so I find myself in a lot of awkward situations. Uh, a lot of husbands and wives and families. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, for some reason, uh, no matter where you're at, when you're the preacher, people always act funny. Uh, you'll probably hear them say things like this. Well, don't lie. He's a preacher, right? Or, or don't say that. He's a... And what I always say is the Holy Spirit's here. Worry about him, right? But uh, awkwardness is something that all of us have probably felt at some time. Or another, And it doesn't change at church, whether you're new at church or whether you've been here for many years. I recently heard a lady say that, Jake, I, I've been here so long, I feel like I've outlived all my friends. And everybody that comes here now is new or different or I don't know. And that's very hard. It's very awkward. Maybe you're saying I'm new and I don't know anybody here. And I have struggled to build relationships. And uh, that is very awkward puts you in a difficult spot. But tonight, finding your place and being who God wants you to be is very important. And I'm not talking about your personalities. I'm not talking about your relationships. I'm talking about tonight who God created you to be in the body. For instance, if God created you to be an elbow in the body of Christ, how can you understand what that is for you to be an elbow that works? Maybe God has created you to be the brain of the church, and God wants you to be that body part faithfully. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some opposition. There are some people that don't like his preaching as much as they like Peter's, or other people are saying, well, we like this person's visitations more than yours. And Paul gives us an understanding here that we are not to worry about what men think of our abilities or our what roles God has called us to do. And so if you would stand out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read verses 1 through 5 and hopefully tonight help you find your place and where God wants you to be. Starting in verse 1 it says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise 
will come from God. So pray with me tonight. Father, I thank you for who you are and the privilege that you call us to, to serve you and to follow you. And Lord, tonight I know there are so many different views of success or what the things we want to do for you and God, the things that we value more than others. But tonight I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach and to explain, God, that that you don't view things the same way do we do. And God, you don't put value in the same areas that we do. And so tonight I just pray, Lord, that you would help this congregation as diverse and different as it is to know, God, that we are made special and we are made unique and we have a purpose and a plan and a, and a way to fit into your grand purpose, God, that accomplishes the most. And so, Lord, help us be okay with that. Help us understand that. And, Lord, to thrive, to be who you want us to be. And, God, I just thank you again for the privilege to preach. Lord, I know I do not deserve it. And, Lord, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I have a long introduction and a short sermon. And I know every time you hear someone say that, it ends up being a long introduction and a long sermon. But I hope that I can tell you the truth this evening. And chapter 20, it is probably one of the most straightforward, easy verses in the Bible to understand. Jesus tells them a parable about a landowner. And he goes into the marketplace in the morning before 6 a.m. And he hires some people to come work in his vineyard. You know this would be a very common thing in the day and time that they lived. Everyone would understand stood what this was. There would have been a large group of people that needed work. And they would have went to this center place and they would have waited. And the landowner came and said, I need this many people and I'm going to pay you this certain amount of money. Come work for the day. A few hours into the day, he realizes, I need more workers. And so he goes back to the same marketplace. And those people that are still there waiting for a job, he says, come, I'll pay you what is right. You can come, work the day, and we'll make things right. All right. A few hours later, he realizes, I need more workers. And so he goes back into the same marketplace and says, I need more workers. Would you come and work for a price that is right? And then after a few more hours, he realizes the day is almost over. Uh, only one hour left in the day, and he says, I need more workers. I'm going to go back into the same marketplace. And you know that these guys have probably the bottom of the barrel, right? I mean, they've been standing around all day. They've, they've not worked. Uh, they've not done anything. And he says, I want you to come, and I will pay you what is right. And so he takes another group. I mean, it's clear. It's evident. There's no, no confusion in that. And then as the day ends, he lines them up backwards. He lines them up from those who worked the fewest hours to those who work the full day. If you didn't know this or not, in Jewish culture, they worked six 12-hour days. And so that was what the Jewish people worked. That was the normal work week. They worked six and they rested one. Our problem is we only want to work 40 hours. We want to play 40 hours. And that is the modern-day America. And so don't complain if you have a job. God could ask you to work like the Jewish people did. But anyway, he begins to pay, and he pays the one that worked an hour a full day's wage. Now, if you are in the back of the line, and you're thinking, I worked 12 hours, and this guy got one day's wage for an hour, one times 12 is, hey, not very good at math, but 12, I could get paid that for every hour. This guy is so generous. This guy is such a blessing. Uh, then the people that worked... The three hours, they get up and he begins to pay them and he pays them the same thing that he paid the people that worked three hours. Now at this time, there's probably not excitement in the back of the line. Judas is not in this group, but he's probably passing back along the, the, the gossip just like we saw all the morning. 
Then the next group comes up who worked even longer, and they're probably thinking, okay, all right, th this, this is not going to happen. And then he pays them the same amount that he paid the first group, and then he paid the second group, and yet they worked even more. And so you know that by the time the last group comes up, the group that's worked all day, the group that slaved away, the group that, that put in all the effort and the sweat and worked through the heat of the day, they're thinking, there's no way I can just get one day's wage. There's no way this could possibly happen, and the landowner gives them one day's wage. Well, naturally, those people are very upset, and they're very wronged in their feelings. And tonight I want to show you a couple things from this parable, but it starts in the chapter before. In the chapter before, if you remember, Jesus blessed the little children. He told them to let them come to Him. He prayed for them. Then we saw that the rich young ruler came and said, well, I've done all these good things. How can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're, you're not good. You can't get to heaven, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And we know the rich young ruler goes away, and the disciples are beginning to say, well, well, who can be saved? Who can make it to heaven then if, if this man can't? And Jesus says what? That with God all things are possible, but with man it is impossible. And if you remember Peter's words, Peter in a moment of, as always, just speaks his mind. And in verse 27, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, in the generation, regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you will have, who will have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes. And He goes on and says, You'll be rewarded a hundredfold. And so if you're Peter, you're thinking, Yeah! I knew that's a good question to ask. I knew that it was all Worth it, but in that moment, Jesus begins to tell them that, hold on a second, your rewards have nothing to do with you. And the rewards that you are going to be rewarded for aren't going to be necessarily what you think should be rewarded of. And so he tells this parable that would have taught them that this was unfair, this wasn't right, this was unjust, but the landowner says, it's my land, it's my money, and I can treat you all the same if I want to. And so I want to show you two things tonight. The first is this. There is a great need for workers in what God is building. A church that does not need servants is a church that is doing nothing. You say, Jake, I get tired of hearing you say we need volunteers in the nursery. We need volunteers in Awana. We need volunteers in missions. We need volunteers building wheelchair ramps. We need volunteers setting up and tearing down tables in the, in the fellowship hall on Wednesday nights. I tell you what, the day that we stop needing volunteers is a day that should worry you. Because it is a day when this church does nothing when there are no activities, when there are no wheelchair ramps to be built, no people to reach, no lives to be changed, the need for workers is gone. But if God is building something, and God is doing something, and God is at work, there is a need for His people to join Him in what He's doing. It starts right here in verse 1 and just begins to speak. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed what the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idly in the marketplace and said to them, 
You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idly and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. I want you to know that even though a president in recent memory said that there are shovel-ready jobs everywhere, we recently found out there were not shovel-ready jobs everywhere. Uh, They were jobs to nowhere. But this man had work to be done. He had a vineyard that needed to be tended to. And tonight I want you to know something, that God is not slack in what He is doing. He has not stopped changing lives. He's not stopped saving people. You say, Jake, we heard this this morning. Apparently, we're not getting it in one sermon, all right? This is the common theme Sunday morning and Sunday nights. But he says there is work to be done, and there is need for laborers. You say, Jake, I've served the Lord my whole life, and I'm I'm ready to retire. I'm ready to, to quit. I'm ready to step back. I'm ready to do something different. Friends, there are seasons of rest, but you must not quit. If God has left you here and God has brought you and given you a gift and and called you to serve Him, there will always be a vineyard to work in. There will always be people to reach. There will always be ministries to be a part of. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said it like this, Then Jesus went to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. You see, he says right here that there is more work more ministry, more lives that can be impacted than there are people who are willing to do and willing to go. I can tell you now, after pastoring for 10 years, there is always more that the church could do. There are always more people the church could reach. There are always more things that we could do. And yes, sometimes I know that we need to cut the things that don't matter and focus on the things that do matter. I understand that. But tonight I want you to hear that God, if He is going to be at work, has a place for you to be. He literally tells them to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. You say, well, Jake, I just I don't know how I can use my gift. I, I know what my gift is, but I'm not sure how to use it. Did you ever think that you might have been the answer to someone's prayer? That some generation before saw a little white church on that side of the parking lot and said, man, I pray that one day God would send hundreds of children and hundreds of people to be saved and their lives to be changed. I pray that God would open up the wombs of the next generation and we would have an abundance of babies and and God would bless us with children galore. And I don't know if you saw the last time we had a baptism, it was like like herding cats. They just kept coming in, right? Kept coming in. And I looked out there and I thought, holy cow. Cow, look at all of these children. They're, they're everywhere. And I was so thankful that I was up there, not down here. I was thankful for them. Didn't want to be back there with them. And, uh, but but I, I wonder, who prayed for that? 
and the generations before. And who prayed not just that God would send an abundant harvest, but hopefully someone was praying for you to be the laborers, to be the servants, to be the ones working and ministering in those people. You say, Jake, I'm just really busy. Jake, I, I just don't have time to serve. I don't have time to, to minister. I don't have to work for the Lord. But I want to say this as nice as I can and as, as gentle as I can in the fashion that I don't know very well. Your priorities are wrong. When you're talking about a harvest here, you're talking about souls. You're talking about an eternal home of someone. You say, well, Jake, all my children are saved. All my kids know the Lord. All my family is right with God. But just maybe it's someone that you love, kids. Why is your children more valuable in eternity than that kid who has no parents, who barely gets a ride to church, who, who doesn't get a shower, who there's no food in the table, who mom and dad spend all their money on booze and alcohol and drugs, and they got here just because some other kid invited them and don't have a way to get home. Maybe God sent you to be the laborer for them. You see, we should have a compassion that God is going to send a harvest, that God is going to send an abundance. I think most of us through COVID have really believed that what God has done and what God could do is not still possible. And so I hear that all the time from people. They're like, so you're telling me that, that, uh, that you're, you're back and you have Sunday school and you have children's church and you have Sunday night church and, and all these things? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, that can't work. I'm like, other than the preaching not being very good, everything seems to be going well. I don't know why, because God has blessed us. I believe it is because we have prioritized the fact that every person who walks in this building is someone that God loves, someone that God cares about, someone that God is willing to work in their life if they are willing. God is willing to give them victory over their, their sin. He's willing to give them victory over their baggage. He's willing to set them free from their burdens. But we have to be willing to labor for the Lord. We have to be willing to be the people that God sends and that someone else prayed for. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says it like this, starting in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, how we love each other, how we love other people, you have no need that I should write to you. Boy, I wish that could be said about all churches, amen? I wish I could tell you how to love people, but you can't love people any better than you're doing right now. What greater testimony could be said about a church? Because Jesus literally said, you will be known as my disciples by how you love one another. He says, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do sword toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You say, Jake, you read cards every week that talk about how much we love each other. You read cards every week about how we love the men and women who are serving overseas or the veterans in homes or, or those in the hospital and those in the nursing home. And, and we took gifts to the fire department and the police department and nurses and teachers. And, and we've, we have finally arrived. Paul says to you and I, keep on keeping on. Take another step. 
Love more. Serve more. Sacrifice more. Do more in how you love each other. Increase and increase and increase. You say, Jake, I just don't have time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the capacity to love people more than I do now. Paul literally says to increase the more and more to all of the brethren. He says not just your select little group, not just your little congregation here, but continue to love more and more. And how can you do that? Well, he tells us in verse 11 that you aspire to lead a quiet life. You say, see, Jake, I'm just going to sell all that I have, move to the mountains, and never be around people. I can promise you that thought has went through my mind a lot over the last couple of years. But that's not what it means. He's talking about here, live a life that avoids unneeded drama. Not every fight that you're invited to means you have to join. Not every dumb conversation someone else has means you should jump into it. I say that knowing that I am the world's worst at doing both of those things. But it's something I've been praying about. A quiet life that means I'm going to be focused on the things of God and I'm going to cut out the distractions of this world. I'm not going to let the world and the things of the world draw me to the point where I cannot find the peace and joy in finding Jesus. I'm going to make a statement once again. I hope that it comes across as nice and kind and gentle as it can. I hear this all the time, that people are just too busy. Too busy for church, too busy for Bible study, too busy for prayer meeting, too busy to serve the Lord. Just too busy, Jake. And the, the answer to that from almost every church in the country is the church ought to step back. The church ought to cut. The church ought to give up. The church ought to retreat from what we are doing. And I say this with all love tonight. That is absolutely backwards. As a family, my wife and I should make the decision, and we're struggling with this right now, on the fact that there are so many hours in the day and what really matters. Does it matter that my children are back there tonight hearing the Word of God, being taught the Word of God, spending time being poured into by people who love Jesus and love them? Are there Sunday nights that I absolutely want to stay at home? You bet there are. Doug and I were talking about this yesterday. There are some Sunday nights that you just want to stay home and rest and sleep or do anything other than come here and stand up and shout at you for 40 minutes when I know half of you wish we didn't have church tonight. But what we see here is that God has us and wants us to be doing the things that He wants. It goes on and says to mind your own business. Now, I, I could preach for a month on this. But it is exactly what it means. It means quit sticking your nose in places that it doesn't belong. It means don't cause trouble where trouble doesn't need to be caused. It means when you ask a prayer request for someone that you ought to genuinely want to pray for them, not just find out what's really going on. And it says to work with your hands. Did you know the Bible says that all labor is profitable? There is not a job that you can work with your hands that you are doing something, whether it's farming, whether it's being a janitor, whether it's uh, what's doing brain surgery, that God does not honor hard work. He says you ought to make it your ambition to work hard, to, to mind your own business, to live for the Lord as we have commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, 
and that you may lack nothing. Now, I don't want you to miss that last sentence. He literally says, I don't want you just to love each other, but I want you to live this way so that you can love the people that are outside. Outside of the church. That are places that are not here. You say, well, Jake, if we were sent out more, we could do more. You should be loving as you go. You should be caring for people as you go. And look what it says there in verse 12, because all of this has our thinking backwards, right? Well, Jake, this makes no sense, but look what it says in those last six words. And that you may lack nothing. That's backwards, isn't it? The world says the more that you're given, hold on to it. Clamp down on it. Don't let go of it. Don't give an inch. But what Paul says is, the more that you give, the more that you serve, the more that you honor God, God will make sure that you lack nothing. I don't know about you, but I wish it could be say that my life lacked nothing. That God had blessed me in every single possible way. God has blessed our marriage. God has blessed our children. God has blessed our finances. God has blessed our life. God has blessed us in every way. And that the testimony that all of us had was, I want to stand up tonight and give God the glory because there is nothing that I need. I can't even ask for anything because God has given me everything I need and then some. Can you imagine how different church would be? If we came in and that had been our week, man, I tell you what, I don't like my job, but God was with me all week. I'm telling you what, those people I work with, man, oh man, oh man, oh man, I'm not going to gossip about them. I'm not going to put my nose in their drama. I'm telling you what, they need Jesus and a whole lot of Him. But God was with me, and God took care of me, and God blessed me, and I've got everything I need. Might change worship a little bit. Might change our view of God a little bit. But that's what God tells us that He can do when we're working for Him. And the second thing, and only two points tonight, God will reward us differently than when we expect to be rewarded. Most of us think that if I come to church every time the doors are open and I give a whole bunch of money and I teach the Sunday school and work in the nursery and I do all these things, then God is going to reward me a hundredfold. Now, Jake, you just said you want us to be here all the time and serving and doing, and now you're going to go right back and undermine everything you just said? Absolutely. You see, what we see here is in verse 8, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when they came, who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. And when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? And we started and we ended with the same thing. So the last will be first 
and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. They were rightly upset. They were rightly upset in the fact that they had all received the same reward. And I've heard lots of sermons talking about how this is talking about people who were saved early in life and late in life and that heaven is the same reward. But it's not really the specifics that you should get focusing on here. It's the fact that God's blessings and God's grace is His to give out however He sees fit. I ask God all the time, God, I wish I could preach like David Jeremiah. Holy cow. I wish I could preach to thousands of people. Man, that would be amazing. That would be unreal. But then I have to give myself a reminder when the Holy Spirit reminds me that that's not what God called me to be. God didn't call me to be David Jeremiah. I'm much better looking than he is. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't call me to be the pastor of that church. I hear it all the time from pastors in little bitty churches and middle-sized churches that if I just had a different church, then I could be a better pastor. If I just had a different church, I, I could serve God more. If I just had a better congregation and the deacons that would listen to me, I could do all kinds of things for God. And what God is saying is, I put you there for a reason. To do what I ask you to do in this season of your life. You see, faithfulness is what God rewards us for, not worldly success. You can preach for 40 years in a church of 12 people and honor God. Just as much as you can preach to a church of thousands of people and honor God. Because the grace and the gifts that God gives you were not yours to earn. In Ephesians 4, chapter verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has given you what you need to do what He has accomplished you to do. You see, many times we try to fight above our weight. We try to chew off things that God never asked us to do. And usually it's not the abilities that God has given, it's the things we want. I wish I could do this for God, or I want this for God. And really, God knows our heart. If God has given you a desire to reach people in Nicaragua, and you do that, then that is God's gift and God's grace to you. But if I want to go and do missions because I want to come back and brag about the fact that I did missions, I can promise you that God will close those doors. Because God gives us the grace to fit the need that He has called us to achieve. And if you disagree with me tonight, that's okay. I'd love to prove you wrong for the first time in your life. Starting in verse 8, it says, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. God is the one who gave you your spiritual gifts. You didn't earn them. You can't request them. I hear people say that all the time. I'm going to pray for this gift. Or I want to pray to get this gift. That's not how the Bible ever teaches it. It is a grace gift. It is a gift that was given to you, not by your worth, not by your merit, not by your abilities. God gave it to you in grace. But to each one of us, grace was given. It goes on and he talks about the fact that he descended into the lowest of places. And then verse 11, he begins to list all of the things that God calls us to do. And he himself gave son to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunningness, craftiness, and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head. And it goes on talks about the body being knit together. And so what we see here is he's saying is that I created you exactly the way I wanted you to be created. And I gave you exactly the gifts that I wanted you to have. And I want you to use them in the way that I gave them for you to be used. You say, well, Jake, why do churches have holes? Why are there so many spots that need servants? Well, it's saved in the last sentence of our verses tonight. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, this is a controversy part of Scripture because some manuscripts do not have it. Some manuscripts do have it. And so, since it's there in the New King James Version and in the translation that I use, I'm going to address it. And I think it comes back to what we saw this morning. Judas Iscariot was called to follow the Lord. Jesus called all of his disciples. He would not have let them hang out if he had not called them to be there. But as we know, Judas took the gifts that God gave him, the calling that God had on his life, and threw it away because of his pride. You say, Jake, what does that mean? That means all those gifts of those people singing that secular music that can flat sing and sing and sing. God didn't give them that voice to sing about honky-tonking or losing their truck or whatever some of that other music that is out there. God didn't give them that gift for that. He gave that gift to them to sing His praises. That's why it's so special when you see someone like that who is talented beyond belief come to know the Lord, and they begin to use that talent for the Lord. You say, well, Jake, why does God give people millions and millions of dollars and all they do is buy yachts and and 14 houses and and whatever else they can waste their money on? God didn't give them that money to use that that way. They chose to use it that way. God gave them that money to build Christian colleges and to feed the poor and to serve and spread the gospel to all ends of the earth. For many are called, but few chosen. There are a lot of ways you could look at that, but I think that's the only one that honors the context of what we're studying. That God has called you, that God has given you a gift, that God has equipped you to do certain and special things for the Lord And the choice to do them are yours. To follow obediently. To serve Him. You say, Jake, why is it the same 10% of people do all the work in church? Once again, I want to say this as nice and as kindly as I can. 90% of people won't be obedient. And the 10%, some of us are trying to work our way to heaven. And the more we do, the more we earn God's love. And neither one of those were right. God has created you for a purpose. God has called you to accomplish great things. You say, well, Jake, I'm not called to be a preacher. You ought to thank the Lord for that. Because it's the greatest calling if God's called you, but it's one that if you choose on your own, they will chew you up and spit you out and will leave you angry and bitter toward the Lord and His people. You say, well, Jake, I'm not a very good public speaker. I'm, I'm not called to be a... A Sunday school teacher, that's okay. You know those people who teach the Word of God are going to be held to a stricter judgment. 
You say, Jake, but I tell you what, I make the best blueberry cobbler in the whole stinking world. Boy, I tell you what, I got a committee just for you. It's called the Funeral Meal Committee. And you cannot imagine how you can bless somebody when they've lost a loved one. And they sit down and say, ooh, Lordy, who made that blueberry cobbler? And I'm like, well, I can't eat it, so I hope it's nasty, right? You say, well, Jake, I, I just have a gift of, of being able to listen to people and sit with people through the difficult times of their life. God gave you that gift. If you've got the gift to be able to keep your mouth shut and listen and not talk, you're a blessed person. Because most of us got the exact opposite problem. Some people are gifted to, to go in with people at the end of their life and sit with them as they lose a loved one. There's so many ways that God has gifted you and, and you look at those as talents that don't matter and gifts that don't matter and God says it's exactly the opposite. Friends, the gift that you have were given to you by God, not for you to use for your own benefit, but the benefit of loving God and loving other people. I'm not a carpenter. I don't claim to be a carpenter, and I and don't even act like it. But Randy's trying to get me to go to Mexico with him in November, and maybe I'm going to go, and maybe I cannot hurt somebody or something. As they build houses for church members down there that need a home. Why? One, I've never been out of the country. I believe I ought to go on a mission trip. If I don't come back, praise the Lord. I'm ready to go. But why? Because God has called us all and made us special. But sometimes God will stretch you. Sometimes God will put you in areas that you didn't think you were gifted and you will realize something. Boy, I can't swing a hammer, but I'm so used to being told what to do at home, I ought to be good at it when I get around other people. That's just a joke. I'm sorry. Forgot she was in here. I'm just being serious. But anyway, no, I love you, dear. I'm sorry. But you don't know. You never realize how much God has blessed you and given you until you're willing to put it to work. And tonight you're saying, well, Jake, that's just a pretty normal sermon for a Sunday night crowd. You're right. But who do you think is going to lead by example? The Christmas and Easter people? The people that show up once a month? Or you, who are the backbone of this church? 